when you're saying something is foolish, is there a um, connotation of the understanding that the person or the intent that the person had when making the, the judgment or the decision? Or is it entirely just based on the circumstance? Like, can an external observer understand that something was foolish, or can only the person involved understand what was foolish? Hi, I'm Devere. Hi, I'm Karen. And this is Thinking on Thinking. Like, when do you go from doing a foolish thing to becoming a fool? There has to be some transition between the two things, right? So like, for example, just making a creative thing does not make you a creative person. But there is something that makes you a creative person. And so what is that? And at least in my mind, it was like, oh, so if you are able to have the mindset of a creative person, different kinds of um, like quote unquote categories of people will have different mental models and different mindsets. And if you could have that, then you would be that person. So then what is the mindset that a fool has? Okay. Right? It's like, it's not someone who makes a lot of mistakes because everybody makes mistakes. It's not even someone who makes the same mistake again. Because sometimes you're not being a fool just because you don't recognize what was the root cause of the problem last time. You could make the same mistake two or three times as well. Right? So it's then... Like, at least as I was like thinking more and more about it, I realized that I don't have a solid model of failure. Like, what does good failure look like? I don't know. Interesting. It's foolish or stupid to have bad failure. And it's okay to have good failure. Like, good failure will result in growth. But bad failure wouldn't. Is that what the distinction is? At least like hmm. the way I was trying to sort of the thread that I was kind of un because I'm like telling you how I was like thinking about this thing. You can tell that I've just like pulled a thread and I'm just like pulling on it and on it. Yeah. Like, where does this go? Right. Um, I'm just kind of like, well, I just I'm, I'm curious, like what what makes something foolish? Is it the knowledge? So, you know, about this, this like concept in like criminal justice about like like guilty mind. Right. And, mm-hmm. no. Oh, oh. Unfortunately, I, I don't know it well enough to <laughs> to really um, explain it well. But basically, um, there's this kind of notion of like, should a crime be treated the same way if the person uh, had if the person's intent was different? And the kind of famous example is like, you know, someone who is stealing a bread to 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 feed their children is should that crime be treated the same way as someone who is just stealing for uh, you know joy right so that's where i was kind of wondering like when you're when you're saying something is foolish is it is there a um connotation of the understanding that the person or the intent that the person had when making the just excuse me the judgment or the decision or is it entirely just based on the circumstance like can an external observer understand that something was foolish or can only the person's involved understand that it was foolish so it's an interesting thing because i think that i have done enough things that from outside would appear foolish but i don't really care as long as they don't the internal affect so like when we go through something we have a cognitive experience of it and we have an affective experience of it as long as i don't have the affect of i was a fool here it doesn't matter to me if it seems from the outside that it's stupid. It's like, you know, for example, when people believe in flat earth, which is obviously a foolish thing to believe in because earth is not flat. 
they don't have the affective experience of being foolish okay. and when most people are trying to resolve the problem for them they are trying to give them cognitive information but like that's not where the sort of discrepancy is they don't feel like they are wrong so it doesn't matter what you tell them like very few people have the bridge between their affective experiences and cognitive experiences it requires way too much self awareness hmm. somehow i'm feeling like this was way more insightful than what i was initially <laughs> saying <laughs> that's funny <laughs> no that's interesting because when you were initially talking i was thinking that that it's really just a question of framing right like whether something is is foolish or not foolish uh like cuz another frame i could draw is just like are you are you taking actions that are in accordance with the the self that you are trying to put into the world right and then you can kind of argue if you are taking actions in accordance with that self right like that you're being cognizant in that approach that then nothing you're doing is foolish cuz it's it's serving your end goals right but there are certain things that are i think kind of like aware like you're saying right they're cognitive awareness right they're like knowledge that of the world or knowledge of how things work there's some great examples in america right now right where like people know that the fact that like people know that we have more gun violence in, in this country than any other country um in the world right <laughs> uh especially when you start to look at it like per capita basis and um zero into it yeah. but despite the kind of like cognitive knowledge right of, of programs that have been successful in other places and like things that we could know would be successful in in kind of reducing this burden there's a, there's a big disconnect in that ability to kind of say oh you know yes this this is something i understand and and you know like i guess like according to the scientific method it should it should apply in this situation too uh but but the ability to kind of internalize that and then say yes you know it's something i believe is is very limited um honestly our emotional brain has had millions of years to evolve our cognitive brain has had hundreds of thousands it's not going to win out it, it's just like the emotional brain is way stronger and that's why i think like a lot of these identity related things also become way more solid which is also why because i know internally the affect of feeling like i am stupid is way more stronger for me it, okay let me put it like this I can start a lot of new things but I always have to develop a new model of how I would look at failure here. And I realize that I don't have a universal model of failure and if I had a universal model of failure the initial activation energy that would be required to do something new would be just like drastically reduced because I have like a heuristic that I could just like pull from. It, and you feel like failure you you can't define failure by what it's not. Like I'm saying if you know what success is then can you just can you define like carve out an inverse somewhere or is that too big of a I mean so if I were to give an example like recently uh so I'd been running pretty slowly compared to all the people around me right like um, my brother runs at what like 6 something pace my sister is also at like you know 8 something pace and I was running at like whatever 9 something 10 something and i didn't have the change in my mindset until i realized okay i need to stop running for pace because i just always felt like a failure and here's the thing if i run faster than my sister then i'll compare with my brother if i run faster than my brother then i'll compare with gorov and i'm sure gorov has other people that he compares to who run more than him who run faster than him right like 
and i know that even as a game designer i know that these numbers your brain will fall in that trap so i like at least i have one damn against it i know that if i construct a model of failure here then i wouldn't right a failure and success of course they go hand in hand when you are creating situation based like that's why i arrived at like i want to have a generalized model of failure so i don't have a model yet i just have like a couple of things in it so the first thing was i'm allowed to change my mind i i know it sounds very simple but like somehow at least for me whenever i'm arrive about a like when i'm able to arrive at things from like this unraveling of a thought pattern kind of a thing it just like anchors more deeply in my mind i'm able to like find it more actionable but like so that's where i'm at and a corollary of the you're allowed to change your mind is also you're allowed to evaluate where you are at whenever you want interesting is that's also another question where like we sort of like it makes us at least in my case it makes me feel stupid sometimes if i have to change my mind which makes it so that sometimes i don't even evaluate am i in a position where i would like to change my mind because i don't want to think about what it would what the implications could be and it, like the net result of all of this is it increases the amount of energy required to start something because you know all of this going in hmm. yeah So now if I know how to fail in a weird way I would just not be worried about going into things like you know it would be the cost of starting something would be so cheap if I was just gonna say oh I can just not do this also that's also an option I'm not gonna think that I'm a quitter I'm not gonna think that I'm a loser I'm also not gonna label myself as I am someone who sticks through So something I do which I'm only realizing now that we're talking about this is like in those kinds of situations I tend to just set myself either very loose goals or very no I tend to, I'll be clear right I I think I like to believe I set myself very attainable goals I think what I tend to do is I set myself very loose goals so then it's like I can feel like I'm making progress because I've left it kind of broad enough that like a lot of things can make me feel like I'm making progress um do you feel like something like that would work for you or do you feel like that just is a dangerous path to no like um in nike run club coach bennett says that you should measure success in as many ways as possible yeah so that i don't think like that i think is a very healthy attitude but i feel like success is more when you are into the thing already failure is more of an anxiety thing right like you're worried about whether you're going to do it or not hmm interesting I think this is where it also sort of runs into what we wanted to talk about today because it's like having a model for failure initially right like if i just have an independent model of like you know what does failure mean what does good failure mean what does bad failure mean right like how can you win at failure or fail at failure um like if i had a model for that then that is so universally applicable in my life that even if it takes a while for me to come up with the principles that apply there it's going to like give me compounding returns things are going to be so much easier. like overall my requirement for activation energy in life is going to be much lower i feel like that side of it might be the right side to think about which is like what is good failure and what is bad failure i'm not 100% convinced that there is 
bad failure, I still kind of think it's a framing thing. I mean, I understand what you're saying, right? That I, because it's not the model that I was I had thought with, it's it's just like it's interesting for me to think about. You could also call it optimal or suboptimal. Like whatever words work better would be fine. But I think that like there are there are better ways to fail. And I want to have a model of like what how do I evaluate if I am failing in a better way. Okay, you know, if I think about it from a different perspective, I think I was thinking about it a lot from like a personal perspective, but if I think about it from like some like like maybe like a more working perspective, I can more think about the way you're saying. Like if we even just thought about like like you know, we we spent a couple of months like building out uh, an offering for museums. And I think it was in some ways I would think about it as like, it definitely hasn't been a success. And I think part of it is that I don't really like to couch things as failures. So it's hard for me to accept yeah. that. <laughs> right. But I think, yeah, right. It hasn't been the, the like, if I had just looked and said, what goals do we have? And then which of those goals have we achieved? Like, it's kind of clear that this was not a success, right? It really kind of was a failure. Now, hmm. now is it a good failure or a bad failure? I think that is kind of a it's a question of what you do next, in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're very right. So it's almost like having a game plan for what to do when the outcome isn't what you want is more like how to deal with failure rather than... I, I mean, at least in my head, I was still at the point of, okay, first you have to acknowledge that you you are not getting the outcomes that you want and that you have some agency in trying to change those. I mean, this happens a lot when you're building things also, right? You're just like, I don't want to look at this. I don't want to think about it. It's You just go into an ostrich mode, <laughs> close my eyes. Maybe it wouldn't happen if I'm not looking at it. But like, you can't solve it until you look at it. So looking at it is the first, like diagnosis is the first step. If you don't want to diagnose, then you wouldn't like, no. Interesting. Yeah. What to do next would be the right thing to think about. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, like, I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot of places, uh, like, that people don't do that. Like, I, I had pursued um, starting a company previously. I'm not sure if I, I think I must have told you about this, but um, with a close friend of mine uh, who, who studied um, epidemiology and then um, cognitive neuroscience, and we were uh, looking at just how music affects uh, people's uh, moods. Particularly, I, I'd seen a documentary um, showing just like how people with Alzheimer's and dementia um, had had really some amazing uh, outcomes playing music, um, both like like listening to music from, um, it seems like, uh, it seems there's some research that shows that your musical taste is kind of frozen between the ages of 13 and 30. And then whatever age you have children, if it's below the age of 30, you'll kind of get frozen at that point. Um, but if you could show people or can allow people, especially older people to hear music from that kind of key era in their, in their life, uh, there was this ability to just like be more present, uh, and, and engage with people more anyway. So this friend and I, you know, we probably spent three or four months like, kind of pursuing this notion. And at the time, she decided she had been in school for her. She had just finished her MPH and so had always been in school. And so decided that, she, you know, finding a job that actually would pay her was a was a kind of a key goal. But what was interesting is I think the question of like, obviously, we didn't have the outcome. That I think either of us wanted at the end of those four months, basically where we started from those four months, um, like it was fine. But I think to then think about it, to acknowledge that there has been some elements of failure in this 
and therefore like how do we how do we make right, right if you don't if you don't if you're not willing to acknowledge exactly what you're just saying right if you're not willing to acknowledge there's no ability to kind of say what do we do from here and instead especially when it's people that you maybe have some existing relationship with or something it can become a thing in your relationship you know that now you you just mm. have never discussed and either it takes a lot of time to kind of let it just melt away or um it, it's just a friction for a while um so yeah i think that is that is very interesting to me um and I also feel like like when it is left alone, for some people it melts away and for some people it acts as like, a, I don't know if you've had those kind of friendships or relationships in your life where like just one event and then suddenly everything seems bad and you have to break it off. And then there are other places where you can let it melt away because there hasn't like, I guess it's that thing of like finite game and infinite games. Sure, the initial investment is high, but the outcomes are also better. Like once you're used to it, it's more energy intensive, but overall the returns would be better. Like your relationships would be tighter. And like this is a bit of a personal anecdote, but I remember like a few years back, you know, all siblings have fights and all. And my brother and I also used to fight a bit. Um and all of my friends, like, I remember having this one big fight and I called a couple of my friends and they all had brothers. They all had younger brothers. And they were like, yeah, this is how it is with brothers. You just have to live with it. This is how the relationship is going to be. And somehow something in my brain was like, no, it's okay. I will put effort. And like, you know, two, three years down the line, we are in a very, very good place with each other. We are in a place where we are like, oh, we have solved those things. Of course, whatever was there for like, you know, 30, like however, 23, 24 years, it took some time to sort of go away. But it did go away. Yeah. Like there isn't any baggage. I, I think this is also another thing that like, if you haven't dealt with the failure, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, you really don't want to deal with it. That's interesting. What did you think about it was interesting? <laughs> well, I was just thinking about um, how we, uh, like, I think there's different weights that people put on different aspects of relationships. And I think we do a lot of assuming of what other people, that other people's weightages will be similar to our own, or even just have uncertainty about what their weightages are. And then because of that, you end up in this kind of decision-making paradigm where you're, it's difficult to, I mean, it depends on how, of course, how you make decisions, right? And if you're someone like me and you tend to kind of, uh, you like to, uh, or you even just intuitively start to weigh other people's outcomes uh, in your decision-making calculus, mm -hmm. uh, it can just become this interesting and difficult place where you're you're uh, optimizing with incomplete information, basically. So <laughs> the thing I was thinking about is just, uh, as you know, we've talked about, like I have an investment company as well, and I think trying to figure out, um, trying to acknowledge uh, the, the investments that we have made that haven't done as well uh, and learn from those. And then I think um, 
I think we're all aware that we're doing it for different reasons, but we're not really articulating what the reason is that we are doing this thing for. And I think one of the things that failure can help you do is sharpen that, right? Is sharpen like what you're what you're in this for, right? Whether it's a relationship or a project or like, or maybe even a company, right? It's like, oh, we haven't done this. Well, one of the things we really can learn is like, you know, what what about that? What why do we consider that a failure, right? And now what was because the, and knowing that this aspect of it was a failure, now you know at least the other direction is the direction that you want to go. <laughs> Whereas I think that if you look at, uh, at least for, for my experience, right, like looking and saying, okay, you know, how do we, how do we evolve? Um, or even I think as we think about this company, right, like the company that you and I are building, right, how do we look and say like, okay, you know, we, we built this like offering and it wasn't successful. Well, how do we use that to sharpen what it is that we are trying to do? And I think part of, I feel actually pretty good about it because I feel like part of what we're trying to do now is create things in a different way. And I think what we realized was that yeah. like, right, like that the creation part of what we had created was not the failure, but but maybe the like the stuff around it. So both the pre-creation and understanding what it is we wanted to create and then also the execution of uh, how we created. Both of those were not, um, were the kind of failure aspects, but the actual act itself was not a failure. Um, I don't know if you would agree with mm. that. That was <laughs> what a little bit all over the place. No, that's actually a very that's actually a very nice way to put it because I think even like in general, also it would be a good practice to think about okay, what are the parts that work and what are the parts that don't work. I mean, this is a slight tangent, but I don't remember when I even got this model, but uh, there has been a mental model in my head for a long time, which is like. When you're trying to solve a problem, there, if you imagine like a 3D space and, you know, there are a bunch of different, you can move in all sorts of different directions. There is like free movement and there is some local maximas and you'll have a global maxima. I think iteration can only lead you to whatever is the local maxima in the region that you're in. It can never really lead you to global maxima. And I always find like that part of just analyzing actually looking at oh these three parts at all didn't work and like you know putting new parts in it does have the chance to shift you away from the local and like I move see. you in a different direction right like you can actually try to pursue even if it's a higher maxima and it's not the global maxima you still have the opportunity to go for otherwise you can like micro iterate often enough and arrive at like a reasonably mediocre thing yeah, that's interesting. I think the, the only part I was thinking I wasn't 100% sure I agreed with was because I think it is, depending on what path you're on, sometimes it's possible to get to, like you can iterate your way to something pretty successful if you happen to start off in the right place, right? Okay. But I do think though that there's a whole aspect of like circumstances change around you, you know? And like, and I do think that, yeah, unless you are kind of willing to carve out sections and say, you know, we're going to just, re if not redo the whole thing, at least redo this section completely. That can, as you're saying, right, like escape you from from your, from your, your being stuck on the top of your hill and help you get to climbing the next mountain. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. It's an interesting thing that I also find that the more I'm able to think about failure in a cognitive way, the less strong it is emotionally. Mm. you know it's a little bit like how some people feel like if you dissect everything scientifically about how a flower is the beauty of it is lessened I don't believe in that but the reverse does happen with the, like you know emotional sort of like heavy emotional stuff where it's like if you can pull it 
and you can dissect it it would it becomes a lot easier to deal with it and you can actually problem solve rather than getting overwhelmed by whatever you are feeling yeah i think like i've told you about this before but when i when i was running the education company in india i used to do these onboarding interviews with everyone and as part of that i would try to weave in some story from my own history that i felt like would just pertain to their experience and their story and i think part of that is like a lot of times you know you you would tell stories that were difficult because of the stories that come to mind those are the strongly emotionally charged stories and i think mm-hmm. doing that you know making myself do that was just so helpful you know because now it's like they're not as emotionally charged uh, or at least you're you're more able to confront that cognitively and without having just a strong instinctual reaction where you need to like either shy away or freak out or something i mean i feel like emotions are almost always i don't know where the direction of our conversation went but like i feel like emotions are almost always like the kind of function that has a like you know the all peak but it does not have a lot of like width to itself and if you try to stretch out the width the peak automatically reduces i mean not re-traumatizing yourself but like as you can experience the same sort of um like with agency and with control as you can experience the same emotion again and again i feel like that becomes a lot easier and better for your mind almost yeah and i think being able to be aware of where you are is how you can find what you're going to learn from um same like way. Like, like what we were talking about before we, we started our podcast today, um, how, you know, just laying people off and letting people go from your company can be really difficult, especially in a downturn time where you know it's going to be difficult for them and difficult for everyone. And I think, like, as I think about the first person that I had to I had to fire, um, right? And in that case, it was, it was clearly for non-performance, right? Like, I should not even, like, be saying had to fire, right? Because, like, you know, it was a great outcome for the company that we were able to find someone who was able to perform a lot better in that role. However, right, like, I remember the joke, and I still remember this, like, I kept offering her biscuits, because I was so, like, I just was like, you must have some tea and biscuits, and then only we can get down to this business. Um, but my ability to kind of look dispassionately past that and understand like hey you know like what were the things did I communicate the things I was trying to communicate did we achieve the goals we're trying right it's so I'm so caught up in that like emotional response of like disgust with myself that I was so focused on the biscuits you know but now as as I think about later ones and then kind of later experiences I had I think we had a lot more ability to just like be be uh if nothing else, like look at them now and I can learn other things from them than just like maybe don't stress so much about biscuits, right? <laughs> um, this is making me think of like, you know, how when people get in their first relationships, they let it go really, really bad before they like, you know, let it go because it's almost like they want the the critical mass required for the failure to be visible. Yeah, it's just a so much higher compared to like once you have gone through it, you realize okay, this is not gonna work, and it's best for everyone if we leave. I mean, I'm not saying everybody finds it easier, but I think that like with their first relationships, almost everyone finds it very hard to leave the person like quickly. Most of my friends that I've talked to, they knew at least a year before they broke up that they really should have broken up. And yeah. in some cases, like it's as much as three years when the relationship is four year long. And it's like, why were you in it? And you just keep going on because you're like, okay, the, you just don't want to see the failure or the signs of failure. 
because of what it makes you feel about yourself. It's interesting yeah. that you use the word disgust because like there is this weird odd thing with saying no or rejecting people which is like it makes you feel really terrible about yourself. Say more. So you know generally in a gossipy way most people enjoy talking about other people feeling yeah. a little bit better than other people but when it comes to like you know things where you can actually cast a judgment on others when you can actually say that no you are not good enough it generally makes people feel pretty bad like when there's a very small category of people who feel good about it even now i'm sure you don't feel good about firing people you just think okay this is something that needs to be done maybe like you know you're not the right person for this role this company is not right for you but we have to say bye to you which is very different from you know some people who enjoy putting other people down but that's a very small category most people feel that sense of disgust and like discomfort with themselves if they have to reject someone like sort of quote and quote officially yeah i mean i think in some ways that kind of brings you back to where we started right because i feel like you know you were talking about cognitive versus emotional affect and i was saying that i feel like it's a, it's a framing to me so i think i look and say like hey i think my ability to be understood is a lot more if i'm being able to address um what i'm saying and how i'm saying it uh in a way that's going to resonate with that person's emotional state Right? So you can kind of tell whether people are in a place that they're just not being able to hear you or hear you in the way that you're intending to be heard. So I think because that's something that I look and I say, you know, this is an important skill for me. This is something that I I think of as being core to who I am. Well, now when I look at that situation, I'm like, oh, I was trying to like shove some biscuits on this lady who just, you know, that wasn't being that wasn't exhibit that wasn't demonstrating that thing that I look at as being very important to how I like to communicate. So that's why it's interesting to me, right? It's I think that's and I do kind of in some ways come back to the way I was thinking in the beginning that like I think that that there is this notion of like sense of self and and there's something about how failure ties into that sense of self, right? And that that I think depending on at what level it has hit you, if for lack of a better word, your ability to kind of look at it as a good failure or a bad failure or like even just like cognitively engage with it versus just emotionally engage with it uh, really can be different. And unfortunately, I don't know if I have more words beyond that, but <laughs> no, it's a lot of food for thought. I'm I'm also not sure if I have more words to say on this topic. So we can do like a very weird bye here <laughs> because it almost feels like halfway through. But I do feel like this is a lot of thinking, and like I myself am also in like the process of trying to understand what's happening. Like you know, just this okay. what does failure even mean what are models around it how do i feel about it but yeah this like so i think when i was thinking about it alone i hadn't articulated the cognitive versus emotional thing as like loudly it was in the back of my mind i know that this is how it is etc but like i hadn't brought it to forefront so now i have like quite a lot to think about yeah i think it's very interesting we should we can revisit it in a in a future episode as well so yeah we can do that Okay. Cool. Good Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thinking on Thinking. Our theme music is by Steve Combs and you can find a link to it in the show notes.